people of God prepare. God above all, maker of all, is one with us in Christ. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. God, the mighty God, bends down in love to earth. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. God with us, God beside us, comes soon to the world he has made. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We are God's children. We seek the coming Christ. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Testament reading is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 to 11 and 16. God's promise to David. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved... With all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone. 
and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish, establish a house for you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Our New Testament reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Good morning. The Bible is filled with strong personalities, but it takes a lot to beat David who in my eyes hits the top spot. Striking images flash by us. David playing his harp, fighting battles, dancing jubilantly in praise of God, and then showing his grief when his best friend Jonathan is killed. And the story of David, the young shepherd, using his slingshot to kill Goliath, the Philistine's champion warrior, is still used to show how the underdog can overcome tremendous odds to become successful. King David carved out an empire unmatched in Israel's history. Yet, in the historical records of the 10th century BC, he's not even mentioned. He will, though, forever be known, as he has down through the generations, 
as the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs, and the man whom God had chosen. The Lord said to Samuel, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. This took place while Saul sat on the throne. Samuel was the last judge of Israel. When the people came to him and demanded, he appointed a king. Samuel was old and they knew that he would not be able to rule them forever as a judge. They didn't want his sons carrying on after him and they wanted to feel more secure. This idea to appoint a king did not please Samuel. No doubt because his sons were being rejected, maybe. And it didn't please God. But God had a deeper objection. Israel was rejecting his leadership. We could see this new kingdom as a wonderful example of God using a choice made against his will, for it ultimately produced King David and through him Jesus, King of Kings. Or we could see that God only opposed the motive behind the people of Israel's request for a king. The key is in the phrase the elders used when they came to Samuel. Then we will be like all the other nations. God did not want them to be like all the other nations. Yet God didn't only give in to their request. He picked out their man, Saul. He would accept the monarchy on condition that Israel still considered the Lord as its ultimate ruler. Israel's new king didn't answer to a parliament or any court system. He answered to God. Most nations' kings held absolute power. But in Israel, only God was absolute and the king was his servant. Samuel, who had led Israel as a judge, knew well that God's power was absolute. God had chosen Samuel as a leader, a leader to suit himself, a leader who listened to him, a leader who honoured him. And as Israel is transitions from rule by judges to kings, it was Samuel God chose to anoint the first two kings and to counsel them. When Saul was rejected by God for his disobedience, it was Samuel who stripped him of his authority and chose David to replace him. David ruled from Hebron for seven years and war raged all through those years between the house of Saul and the house of David. When Saul died, David became king of all Israel. David decides to march on Jerusalem to conquer his enemies there. 
And when he holds Jerusalem captive, he realizes that it is the perfect place as a capital from which to unify the northern and southern tribes. Jerusalem was on the borders between the north and the south and belonged to neither, so neither could be offended. One of my favourite films is Crocodile Dundee. And one of the best scenes for me is when Mick is in New York and he's walking down a street with his girlfriend. Suddenly, they are surrounded by a gang of thugs. One of them waves a knife and demands Mick hand over his money. Mick calmly looks at them and then says, That's not a knife. This is a knife. And he pulls out an incredibly large knife, so big it makes the would-be mugger's switchblade look like a penknife. Of course, they run for their lives. This scene reminds me of our text in Samuel 2. David has consolidated his power in Jerusalem by building a royal palace of Lebanese cedar. He is clearly feeling comfortable in his digs and presumably desires that the Ark of the Lord, the very presence of the Lord, has a house as well, instead of being housed in a tent. A plan begins to form in his mind. Why not build a house for God, a temple? David outlines his plans to his friend, Nathan the prophet. And Nathan promptly agrees, thinking that David's plan for such a house will be pleasing to God. But that night, God speaks to Nathan, correcting him, and he has to return to David with God's message, a revised evaluation, if you like. It is though God were looking down on the plans which David had just had drawn up for God's house. He then looks at David and says, in effect, David, that's not a house. This is a house. If David thinks he can build a house for God, he is wrong. It is God who plans to build a house for David. And what a house that will be. You see, David had a bright idea, but it did not correspond with God's plan. The revelation God gives Nathan, which he is to convey to David, in a way puts both men in their place. For David's plan did not correspond with God's plan, and Nathan's agreement was too hasty. Then God asks David, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? The theological writer Eugene Peterson puts it very well when he says, But there are times when our grand human plans to do something for God are seen, after a night of prayer, to be a human distraction from which God what God is doing for us. That's what Nathan realised that night. God showed Nathan that David's building plans for God would interfere with God's 
building plans for David. And there is a side detail here. David is clearly conscious of his position as a king, certainly in relation to all the people of Israel, as well as those outside Israel, David is the highest authority in the land. But in relation to God, David is merely a servant. David is living in a palace and God is living in a tent, at least in David's mind. And David almost appears to be wanting to give God a helping hand. It is for this reason, maybe, that God appears to put David in his place. First, by referring to the king as his servant, and secondly, by saying to him, who are you to be building me a house? Nathan had got it wrong when he counseled David to go ahead. And in our lives as Christians, we sometimes set our hearts on maybe entering a particular ministry or following a path that seems attractively set out before us. But God tells us no. These are difficult times to deal with because we have surely prayed about it and really sought the Lord's agreement because we sincerely had or have the desire to serve him. And then he tells us no. He doesn't want to use us in the way we desired or were open to having him use us. It is hard, it hurts, and it is confusing. Sometimes, at certain points in our lives, God has a very good reason for saying no when we attempt to sort out the job, so to speak. The thing that is critical for us is what we do when God says no. It is critical because it determines whether or not we will now be able to go on trusting God, trusting him to carry out his long-term plans for us, trusting him enough to place our future well-being into his hands. We need to remember he does have a plan. He has a plan for all of us. Answers to the why and where God is leading us, where we work, where we live, the people we meet, and the consequences, often come years down the line. Later on in David's life, we read in Chronicles why God rejected David wanting to build a house for him. David had been a man of war and bloodshed, and God desired his house to be associated not with war and fighting, but with peace and rest, and to be built by a man of peace. Hence, he selected Solomon to build the temple. God tells David it was a good that he had the desire in his heart to build a house in God's name. Good because it was a desire out of a heart filled with love for God. And this is what really matters. Whether David built this temple or not, he will be rewarded by God 
when they meet. And so it will be for us. We will be rewarded for all those things we sought to do to please God, even though we were sometimes told no. Because just as with David, many times in our Christian lives, it is the case we sow an idea, but it is someone else that reaps the fruit we have laboured for. Today is the fourth Sunday in Advent. So let me end with verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In the reading from Luke this morning, the birth of Jesus is foretold. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. God's promise of a house for David is completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This promise lives in a new covenant between God and us, his people today. It is mediated by Jesus to all when we declare our belief sincerely in Jesus Christ as Lord and God. Jesus is building the Father a magnificent house in the sense that we are God's temple and the church is God's new house. A house that is there for us all, where everyone, every single individual is welcome. Amen. Lord, we come before you with our prayers and intercessions. Lord, we pray for your precious Holy Spirit to stir up our hearts afresh with your holy fire and the hearts of all your people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we pray for ourselves and for all Christians, that we, your people, will humble ourselves, that we will pray more, that we will seek your heart and your face with fresh urgency, that we, your people, will turn from any ways that are unhelpful to you, so that you will hear and forgive and heal our world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we pray for a fresh revelation that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but in the spiritual realm. So, Lord, we pray for your presence, your grace, your power, your holiness and your blessing with your people and all those in authority 
in our land and in your church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we pray for your heart to be in our hearts. We pray, Lord, for your precious Holy Spirit to bring fresh compassion to each of our hearts. Lord, we pray that this Christmas time will be a time of compassion and not consumption. We pray for compassionate hearts in your church and throughout our world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you, Lord, that these are not hidden from us, but rather for us. So, Lord, we pray for your people and all those in authority to seek the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in you, Lord Jesus. We, we thank you that the wise men sought you. And as many consider your birth this Christmas, we pray that many men and women will gain fresh wisdom and insight from you to solve the problems of our world and bring your kingdom. We pray that we, your people, will not be wise in our own eyes, but rather reverence and honour you, Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we pray for your healing for all those who are sick. We pray for your supernatural protection and power with all those who are working so tirelessly in the NHS. We pray for those who are feeling exhausted to know your joy, Lord, which is our strength. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for your presence with all who are lonely. We pray for those who have been bereaved to know your comfort and peace. Lord, we pray for your presence and your peace upon all families this Christmas. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we pray for those in financial difficulty or homelessness. Lord, we thank you that you are the great creator and provider. Lord, we pray for your blessing on businesses, your blessing on communities, your blessing on all those who are experiencing homelessness. We pray for your provision for all those who are in financial difficulty. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Lord, finally, we pray for fresh hope for all who are feeling discouraged or in despair. We pray for your precious Holy Spirit to pour out hope in all hearts and minds. We pray that hope will be grounded in your great and precious promises, Lord. Lord, may holy hope in you and your word rise up throughout our land. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we commit all our prayers and intercessions to you, trusting in you. Amen.